I am unashamed. What about you? So, uh, <clears throat> Chase, this, uh, this past weekend, I was invited up to uh, Pennsylvania because it was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And so the organizers of this event, they were maybe maybe about 30 miles from Shanksville, Pennsylvania, which is where that fourth plane, you know, crashed into the, to the woods there. And the reason it crashed into the woods instead of the white house or the Congress, they're not sure exactly where those guys were going to, what they were going to try to take out, but they were definitely heading back to DC. Uh, and these, so there was probably about 33 passengers on this plane. And uh, it was a flight that, that uh, left out of Newark, and was supposed to fly to San Francisco. So you had, you know, I, I kind of researched when they asked me to speak at this event, because I, I, you know, I really, I had really known a lot about it 20 years ago, but I hadn't thought about it a lot lately. And so it was really interesting because there's, so there's people, you know, they're going on vacation. And of course they've studied all these people now and talked to people. So they're just a normal, you know, 33 Americans, some of them are going on a business trip you know, some are leaving their families to go out for two days and come back. I mean, what people do every single day. And then all of a sudden, you know, over the skies of Pennsylvania, these four terrorists take over the plane and uh, with these box cutters like they did the others, and they're in the cockpit. And so you got these 33 passengers in the back of the plane and they're, you're, they're getting on the phones, you know, making it back then they had the, they don't have them on the phone, the, phones on the planes much anymore but in those days you could make a you know call so they're finding out from their relatives what's going on they're calling 911 and they realize that they're about to be used as a weapon to fly into some you know government building or the, you know whatever it was going to be and so they four four guys on there said you know we're not going to we're going to take the plane back and uh one of the guys Todd Beamer is his name or was his name. And, uh, he, his final words, you know, the, he's talking to this nine one one operator. And by the way, she said he was totally calm. He was 32 years old, totally calm. He was talking about, the, you know, he told him what they were going to do. And he said, we're going to try to take this plane. We'll try to you know take control of it and try to land it, but it may not work out, but that's what we're going to do. Cause we're not going to be used by these people. And he asked her if she would do two things, would she pray with him, which she did because she's a believer, which was amazing. And he said, would you recite the 23rd Psalm with me? And she did that as well. And so then she could hear him as they, when they finished that, he turned to the rest of them. And there was three guys that were going to do it with him. And he said the famous words, he said, let's roll. Meaning we're fixing to take this plane. And so six minutes later, you know, it crashes into the ground in, in Pennsylvania and so this group was called Let's Roll America. And the reason they scheduled on 9-12, which was the day after 9-11, is their mindset was, you know, we were all in shock because of what happened on 9-11. But the day after, we were unified in a way that, like, we haven't been in a long, long time. And so their idea was, how can we bring that unity back to a divided America? So it was a great event. I mean, a lot of great folks were there, a lot of first responders, a lot of vets were there, a lot of police officers, and because kind of naturally drawn to this event. But here was something that I didn't really plan for, which really I didn't think about. But so I was talking to these people before I spoke. And, you know, a lot of the people that were there, they had been 20 years ago, and some of them was their, you know, people in their family, 
were the ones that combed through those woods after that plane went down, you know, searching for anything they could find. Because at this point, you know, obviously it's a plane crash, it's a terrible disaster, but, you know, a family clings to something like that. And so this spot that's in Pennsylvania, it's a memorial and it's the, it's basically the graveyard for all the people that were on that plane. And so these people were overcome. And so this community, which it was just like, imagine if something like this happened in Shudrant, you know, Jays, or, you know, somewhere around Louisiana, and we were the ones and other people were the ones who were out here searching through the woods that were looking for anything you could find that was tied back to that flight. Well, that was the people that I was speaking to. So, you know, I, I don't know. I felt really humbled, you know, to be like in that setting, to be talking about 20 years later. So you try, and yet I wanted to be inspirational on top of that. So it was very moving. I mean, you know, my words, I hope they helped. I hope they encouraged. I hope they challenged. But I was moved by the whole thing because it kind of took me back to 9-11, the, the, what happened there, the how it affected our country. And the idea, I agree with them, that, you know, we're, we're probably more divided than we've been certainly in my lifetime. And, and y'all could probably say the same. So it was a it was a sobering and yet you know, I came out of it feeling very blessed because I've, I met some great people, you know, that hopefully I encouraged, but they encouraged me as well. So it was pretty powerful. I think whenever you see or hear someone's faith being lived out, especially in a dangerous way where you could lose your life on earth, it there's something about that because it's so rare. I mean, it's hard even just for normal Christians to be outspoken about their faith for fear of whatever. But to me, that's the most inspiring thing. Here's a guy, a believer, saying, "All right, I, I'm I'm doing this in the name of God because I love people and I don't want to be a part of a evil attack." And uh, to me, that's rare and inspiring. And in the context of what we're talking about today, talk about being salt and light on a plane where you, you're probably going to lose your life. But representing what's good and wholesome and and bold, you know, in that moment. I mean, it's. Well, and you're right, Jace. What was ironic is this, you know, every, out of everybody on the plane, and, by, and one of the points I made in my speech was that, you know, nobody was checking around and seeing what race anybody was, what gender anybody was, what sexual orientation anybody was. I mean, this was a group of people that unified and rallied and said, you know what? We, we can't control anything else this day, but we're not going to let these people in the front of this plane dictate how this ends. Yeah. And so I made the point that the same evil that we face every single day has been around since, you know, the evil one was here. And if you can focus on the common enemy who is the evil one, then you can there's no telling what you accomplish. These people all died, but but their sacrifice saved. A lot of people, and you're right, Jace. I, I was inspired that the leader of it was a believer who, according to this woman on the 911 operator, never wavered. She said, in fact, she said at first I thought it was a hoax because he was so unflappable when he was telling me about what was going on. She was thinking in her mind, how could this person be this calm when he's up on this plane and he's describing to her what's going on. And you know, a lot of other people on the plane that call people, and like you would expect, they were crying and upset because, you know, they figured they're fixing to die. But this guy, you talk about understood about what we're talking about in Matthew, about the kingdom of heaven and, and what it is beyond. He obviously got it. And so 
it, you're right. He's a hero to me. He definitely understood the resurrection of the dead. Yep. Well, that's what we've been. Well, his wife wrote a book called Let's Roll, and I would encourage anybody to get it. She wrote it like in 2003, but it inspired me. I reread it and just, you know, learning about this guy, which led to this day. So, uh, man, it was it was pretty powerful. Yeah, it's one thing to talk about heaven, and we talked about it on the last couple podcasts, but when it's real to you and you find yourself in a spiritual battle versus evil, I mean, it's just it gives me inspiration to know he stepped up. I'd I'd like to know I did the same thing. Yep. Because death's not over for us who believe it's not the not the end. Like a lot of people that fly, you know, I spent a lot of time in airplanes, and so early closer to nine eleven, I thought, what would I do? You know, and you're looking around, and anybody that looks a little bit, even a little bit weird, you know, you're like, is wondering, is this the guy? Is he going to try something? You kind of work through that process, but then the idea that these were just normal people, you know, like any of us just living life, that then were put into this extraordinary situation, what would you do? And so I, I think that kind of begs the ultimate question, how do, I, how do I respond to things beyond my control, which is, you know, sort of the purpose of everything we're talking about in Matthew. Yeah, well, it just makes everything seem clear because you think about, what do we take to heaven with us? There's only one thing, you. That's it. You're not taking your 401K or your car or your skill set as a athlete or, you know, you just take you. Yep. And which is Jesus's whole point. You never see a hearse <laughs> with a U-Haul behind it? Yeah. That's it. Well, I remember Jim Young said he <laughs> saw one and he thought nope that's not gonna work <laughs> he said he actually saw one it was a hearse pulling the u-haul going down the interstate yep. and uh he just said no not gonna happen yeah that's funny <clears throat> so uh so we're in matthew uh chapter five and uh we talked a little bit about the we kind of introduced this by talking about the Beatitudes. Actually, I guess, Dad, it goes back to really 417, because when Jesus started his ministry, it said from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and which was a continuation of what John had been saying leading up to Jesus getting there. And so that really kind of becomes the core of everything then we're looking at as we get into what what does the lifestyle look like? It starts with the idea that a changed life, this is kind of what you see, right? I mean, that's kind of, you were making that point yep. when we were. That, <clears throat> John the Baptist's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the Matthew th 3, which started out. Then Jesus, from that time on, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And by the time you get to Acts 10, he sent the disciples out and he said, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. So from what he says, starting with the Beatitudes, the ones who repent will be the salt of the earth. The ones who repent are going to be the light of the world. The ones that repent have something to repent of because they're sinful. But Jesus makes the point. He said, look, the reason I've come I've come to abolish the law. So 
he said, I'm not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So yeah. he's going to keep it, the law. What we didn't do, he said, but you repent and you follow me, and these are the qualities you should have. And by that, because I kept the law for you, I will, I will save you, and I'll, I'll get you to the heaven that's near. Yeah, when you look at he he started off talking about these heart qualities, which are in contrast to everything the world says. You know, being poor in spirit and yep. blessed are those who are, who mourn. You know, when we talked about these are characteristics of your heart that allows you to repent because you realize there's a God and you're not Him. You can't solve your problems. Before but, I repented, Jace, I was not even close to the Beatitudes. I wasn't even close or being the salt of the earth and of the light. I was a low-down heathen. So he said, you got to repent there. Everybody has to repent. Yeah. When, Jace, you made the point before about the Beatitudes, I thought it was a really good one, that they're pretty evenly divided between our attitude towards God and also our attitude towards other people. In other mm -hmm. words, a repentant lifestyle is not just between me and the Almighty, but it's also between me and my neighbor, yep. between me and the what, you know my yeah. family and the people that are around me. So he gives you that picture sort of uh, of both. Which is why when the fella came up to him and said, hey, what do I need to do? And he said, let me sum this up for you. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is the fulfillment of the law. If you read the definition of fulfillment, right. it means completed, brought the realities and shadows brought to a realization. Yep. So, but now in defense of the Pharisee mindset and, and those who were under the law in the Jewish nation at that time, that would have been a hard sell to Ooh. say, well, wait a minute now. You're saying it's not, worship is not how we respond to the law, how we keep the law. It's about being salt and light on the earth. What is what? That probably just sent smoke to rise off their heads because they're thinking, well, what is he talking about? We're, we're trying to keep the law, which as we continue on, he starts showing the hop. Hang on, Jason. Let's take a break. So, Jace, what's better than that first morning in the duck blind and that first cup of coffee? when you've kind of gotten everything set up and you're there and it's that, you know, that feeling of now I'm kind of back in my place, right? Not much. <laughs> not much beats that. That's no, exactly something about better. it. Yeah. And the, and the, and the coffee to me is what really kind of establishes that we're here, you know, that we've now got everything done. We can sit down, rest for a minute, and have a cup of coffee. One of our longtime sponsors is um, black rifle coffee and we love it for a lot of different reasons. One is it's fantastic coffee, but also it's a veteran owned company and these guys give back. And I love that too. In 2020, they donated over 6 million cups of coffee to veteran law enforcement and first responder causes. So not only every time you're buying black rifle coffee, you're also donating uh, to some group that's going to, you know, of the people that really make our lives better. So great company, Great coffee. Check these guys out. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Phil. Use the code Phil at checkout for 20% off your purchase, including your first coffee club order. We get it by the coffee club. That way you can sign up. They send it to you monthly. You don't have to worry about it. You're never going to run out of coffee. So check out their coffee club. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com 
Slashville, 20% off your purchase, including that coffee club order. Check these guys out. As he continues on, he shows what they were known for, which was hypocrisy, in that you can't keep the law. The law leads us to God and help in which he gives us grace. I mean, Jesus is introducing this idea of a grace-motivated, relationship-oriented faith and not here's the rules, do a ritual, and keep them. It just is not going to work. It led us to God. Now, why in God's wisdom did he choose to do that, which I think is the same thing we talked about last time, which is why we have problems on the earth. It, it, you, you realize I'm not God. You have your plan and you have God's plan. You're right, Jason. It would have blown their mind. It's like, remember in Matthew 9, if you look forward a little bit, when Matthew is is called and, you know, he invites all the tax collectors over his, his everybody he knew and has a little feast for Jesus. And then they ask that question of the disciples. They said, why does your your master, your your teacher, why does he, you know, associate with these tax collectors? And you remember Jesus said, you know, I came because, you know, the healthy don't need, you know, a doctor, but the sick do. And then he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he was he was condemning the whole idea back to all those sacrifices that had been put forward that the people thought were making them right, which never were because they couldn't take away their sin. And he said, look, if you'll just be merciful, that's what I want. And but this would have blown their mind because you're right, Jess, they, they were thousands of years into thinking that what they did and the, the right amount of, you know, bulls and goats and doves and everything else they sacrificed was what made them right. And it was based on them. It was never based on how they treated other people or how they felt toward God. So this this is a whole new concept. The, the problem was they were claiming that they were they had kept the law. That's what they were claiming. That's why when the Apostle Paul talked to them yep. over in Galatia, he said, before this faith came, that's Jesus, before his arrival. Jesus is on the scene early in, in, in the book of Matthew. Before he showed up, we were held prisoners by the law because the ones who were claiming they had kept it were lying. They, we were locked up until faith should be revealed. So what Jesus is telling them in Matthew Paul is elaborating to the Galatians. He said, you say, so well, why have a law? So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, which is what Jesus and John the Baptist and the disciples are saying. Repent, because the one who has kept the law is now going to die to get you off money. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, the one, the only one who's ever kept it, because he wrote it and kept it, that we should be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, this is in Matthew, this is before Jesus died and was buried and raised. In Galatians, when Paul wrote that, he had already come, died, buried, raised, went back to heaven. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. I'm going to keep it for you because you haven't kept it. So I'm going to keep it for you then I will be the ultimate sacrifice, unlike the doves and the whatever the 
the lambs and all of that. He said, I am the sacrifice. It's the wildest story, but the best one I've ever heard. Well, this, this, uh, That's right. this verses 17 through 20 causes a lot of religious people problems because they're not, they think they're under law even today in modern times. So they're like, what is, what is he talking about? Fulfill. I thought we were under law, and you know we've had multiple arguments, and people write in. You All know, the they're time. like, "Well, which of the Ten Commandments do you know are the important ones?" Or and you're like, "Look, if you're Jesus came to fulfill the law, and it's a grace motivated principle, and when he starts talking about being salt and light, he's basically saying there's a way to be created." again in me where you become like me in how you operate and it's it's based on grace mercy and and forgiveness well for them they're thinking of all these little rules that's why he went he he starts to go through them and says oh well if you say i've done this but do this you're just as guilty as if you hadn't done any you know i mean and we know the verse that says if you're innocent of the whole law and yet you you stumble at one point you're guilty of breaking all of it well that throw these rule in oriented people into chaos because they're like well wait a minute now or they think well i'm better than him so i should have a, a different ranking in their in mind heaven. they didn't mind a little hatred toward their fellow man it didn't bother them at all so if you look right after jesus talks to the but with the salt of the earth the light of the world repentance is demanded I've kept the law for you. He ends it up by saying, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. He's going law, you know, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. <clears throat> but Jesus tells them a, a wild story when he says, I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You're full of hatred for your fellow man yeah. because they don't measure up to what you say they ought to under a law of works. And he said, so you say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus said, yeah, have you hated anybody? And they have to say, right. well, you know, how, how many times do we forgive them? And you get into that, you know, 10, you know, what about would we be all right then? He said, you know, I mean, seven times. He said 70 times seven. Yeah, to Jason's point, you don't, he didn't say that. <clears throat> the modern mindset is, Oh, Jesus said this because now we have a new law. Right. Like it's bigger than the old law, which is murder. Now we got a new law. <laughs> and so we want to condemn people on that. His his point was not to make new law. His point was to say, I want your heart. <laughs> I, I want you thinking of me, not even having bad thoughts about people. So it's not it's not more law, it's it's more well, righteousness which comes through him. Well, so right. I, it is interesting <laughs> that people use these texts to then create more law, which is not the point at all of what Jesus was trying to do. But what happens is, I mean, we're reading, we know how the story ends, so we're, it's right. easier for us to understand what he meant. But when we went through those identity traits on why I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm here, what you realize as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, a son and daughter of God that's been adopted by him, he's our ultimate father that he put me here because he loves me, but then that's going to teach you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You, when and you, then you will fulfill the law. Well, law right. and love then, is a fulfillment. When you realize that he knows you as a son, his family, well, it then teaches you 
to understand what the church is here, which is basically the laboratory, his laboratory for learning how to love other people. That That's why we're hooked up with other people. You think about a physical family is always going to end. You know, your kids move off, they get married, they go on, they, they die, but we kind of disperse. But a spiritual family, well, that's, that's never going to end. So e- even when, when your physical family, whatever happens as far as moving off and doing different things, that if you have the spiritual bond also, well, you're part of a forever family that you know, oh, this is never, never going to end. We, well, you better learn how to love each other or <laughs> how could you spend eternity together? <laughs> so that's the platform. But in all those reasons he created us when he, you know, the verse in Ephesians 2 says he created us to do good works, you know, before the creation even began. Well, that's when we start looking at these qualities that Jesus possesses in the Beatitudes and we start living those in our life. Well, it starts encouraging other people to do the same thing, which ultimately gets down to him saying you're salt and light. So when he when he gets to verse 17 through 20, and I'll read it. Hang on, Jace. Before you do, before you do that, let's take a break. One of the things that's changed a lot in our culture, especially during the pandemic, is that people order more stuff uh, via the internet, and so therefore the shipping companies, I mean, they're going crazy because they're all these boxes are coming to your front door. It's just sort of a new way of living, I guess. In fact, now you got to have cameras to make sure people aren't stealing stuff off your front porch and all that. One of my favorite things to do every month is to open up my box of awesome. It's from a company called Bespoke Post. And basically, they just bring unique goods and uh, together and things you like, and they put them in kind of a surprise box and they ship it out to you. And it's actually boxofawesome.com is the name of the place you go to find it. And it could be all sorts of stuff from travel, outdoor gear, grooming goods, things that guys like. Uh, so you want to check these guys out. You go to boxofawesome.com. You're going to take a quiz, and they're going to figure out what you like and what's right for you. They're going to send a new box every month. It's got all these different categories that you can sign up for. You can skip a month anytime. You can cancel anytime. Each box costs 45 bucks, but it has over $70 worth of gear inside, so it's a good deal. You get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com. Enter the code Phil at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com. Use the code Phil for 20% off your first box. He said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I'll tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And you're like, well, what, what is he talking about everything is accomplished? So you think he comes here, keeps the law as the son of God, and then dies in a way that he was a lawbreaker as, as a criminal, which didn't happen, which was God's way of sharing with us how much he loves us. And he, in essence, through love, fulfilled the law. He kept it based on love yep, and not, oh, I got to keep this so I'm, I'm deemed right because I was perfect, even though he was. 
which is pretty incredible. So then it, then it says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, here's the key verse, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I jotted down the righteousness of the Pharisees according to the book of Matthew, according to Jesus. Just a few principles. There's probably more. Number one, they sought their glory instead of God's, which was evident. They were like, look look how well I've done. Even though they weren't perfect, they, and you can read that in Matthew 6, uh, 2 and 5. Uh, they were all lips, no heart. Remember that in 15, 8? And, and what's interesting about that conversation is it all started about whether you should wash your hands or not, which I wouldn't even call that a law. I think it was a tradition. And they were saying, oh, they're breaking the law, breaking a rule. Hey, they didn't wash their hands and they ate something. I mean, it reminds me of the way we are about masks and all that. And so when we get to the end, Jesus says in verse 19 of chapter 15, for out of the heart, Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't make him unclean. And so you you see this righteousness of the Pharisees compared to what Jesus is saying. I'm sure he was for washing hands. That was not the point. The point is you can't make a law on whether you wash your hands on somehow or another you're good. Because you washed your hands every single time. That's right. He was saying, look, look in your heart. I'm sure these sins were going on in their hearts, just like it is every other human that's past the age. So they uh, they put the ritual over the relationship. That's Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is a lot of these because that's the what they call the seven <laughs> woes of the pharisaical life. They neglected the weightier matters of the law. Remember that verse where he said, yep. you neglect the mercy and justice and uh, they focused on the outside versus the inside on how they looked, how the, washing hands is another example of that. And then you had this pride that, that was weaving throughout all these elements and all these confrontations. There was a pride about them that wouldn't listen to the savior of the world because they were so steeped in the traditions and the laws and making themselves feel better. So when you read that verse about him fulfilling, the, the one thing that comes out is the lack of love, a lack of love for God and a lack of love for other people. And they were just trying to keep these traditions. That's why I don't think his point for this text was to share, like some people say, that there's somehow rankings in heaven because it says if you keep the true commands, which I believe he's talking about loving God and, and loving your neighbor, you'll be greater in the kingdom of heaven. And so to wrap your head around that, since I brought it up to me, it's like that uh, illustration that Paul uses in first Corinthians 12, when it says we're all given either male or female uh, bond or free or Jew or Gentile. We're all given the spirit to drink. And it says all the parts form one body. We're the body of Christ. Jesus is our Lord and savior, the head, and we all make up parts of the body. But then he goes into this illustration talking about each part has its own purpose. And he's like, you know, if, 
and he makes kind of a joke there. He says, I mean, what if the body was just an ear? I mean, so you visualize there's just an ear. I don't guess walking around because you wouldn't have feet, but just floating <laughs> around. We're just one big ear. Well, we could hear and we were being good at listening, but we wouldn't have the rest of the parts of the body. But to wrap my head about least and greatest in the kingdom, even though you love God and you and you love other people, I thought about it, you know, about a month ago, I think I shared this, I broke my pinky toe. And I was shocked when the doctor looked at it and said, there's nothing we can do. I was like, we can go to the moon and you can't fix this toe? We we haven't. And it so it sent me down a downward spiral of trying to figure out what we even have a pick. Because he said, I, you, don't, you don't need it. I said, what do you mean I don't need it? it? But it's hurting me. He's like, look, you could cut it off and you, you would continue to, to function. He said, the only thing we can think of that it's even useful for is maybe a balance issue. And I was thinking, then it got me to thinking about the theory of evolution and all this. I'm like, why do we have the pinky toe? Yeah. I mean, if we don't need it and we don't use it, why is it still here? I'm asking what university he got his degree from. Well, I don't know, but <laughs> I'm just saying that's what he said. And that's, but then I thought about this and I thought, you know, in the body of Christ, we got some pinky toes. And you're like, what are they? What, why are they here? And what are they good for? I mean, you just can't help. Just it. one yeah. little what are toe. They bring into the. T <laughs> but here's what I noticed: when there, when that thing's broken, the rest of your body knows it. Yep. Because I go out metal detecting, and every time I push down that shovel, that pinky toe, it's just like somebody sticking a knife in my, in my foot. And I'm like, okay, he said I don't need it, but I can't dig this, this hole without extreme discomfort so i told you all that long story just to say we got some pinky toes and maybe that may be deemed least in the kingdom because of their role you know it may not we may not see exactly what but we it teaches us patience perseverance and a need to you know be sympathetic and get that healed up whether we do it the easy and every way. one of us has worth or he wouldn't have died for the sins That's of the world it. And they're in. They're attached, even though we can't see it and we can't figure it out. God gave us a toe, no matter what they said, where we came from. Because I think if it was true that there was no God, I don't think we'd have pinky toes. I think that would have, at some point, ceased to exist. Yep. Just like, remember your story about the uvula, and you couldn't figure out why it was there <laughs> until you tried to make a pintail sound. By fluttering it. And then you knew. Yep. Well, then he's like, well, no wonder God gave us that. We got the pintail. We can eat a pintail. <laughs> couldn't, sound couldn't, like a pintail couldn't sound like a pintail. Yeah. So let's, let's, take, let's take a break. So, Dad, I noticed uh, when you grew up, I guess people back in the day just grew a lot more fruit trees, right? Because that's how you got your jellies and your fruit that you put up. And, you know, it was just kind of a process, right? I mean, what, what was it? Were those fruit trees planted by people? Were they just there in the woods? How, how did that all work? A lot of wild, wild berries, blackberries, dewberries, sloes, mayhaws. The woods are full of wild, wild fruit trees, wild fruit, ready for the picking. Right. And so, you know, I think that was just kind of a, a way of life, but it's something you don't think about. And so I think in the modern era, people are kind of turning back to that. And one of our sponsors 
is a group called Fast Growing Trees. And, you know, they, they obviously have all kinds of trees that you can buy and grow. But one of those is fruit trees. And I thought about you because, you know, fruit is a big part of our life. We love jelly. We love stuff like this. And so these guys can provide that for you. They're going to show up at your house. They're going to be in great shape. Lisa and I have ordered some and, and they come up ready to go. They were in perfect shape. They were easy to use. There's a 30 day alive and thrive guarantee, which means that your plants arrive happy, healthy and ready for planting. So now through November 30th, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Robertson. They're going to give you 15% off your order. So through November 30th, that's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Robertson and get you some trees. I, I discovered that and I've told the story. I won't tell the whole story, but when my appendix ruptured, you know, people say, well, you don't really need your appendix. You know, I've heard that you, know, you just cut it out. No big deal. It's a little balloon. It looks like a little unblown up balloon that's down there attached, you know, in your guts. But I don't know if you need it or not, but I know one thing when it ruptures, the rest of your body reacts in a strong, strong way. And yeah. in fact, you can die, yeah. you know, from it. So I, it, you need, you know, I, you need it to be healthy. I'll, I'll put it that way. I discovered that. Well, um, my whole point was he talked about being salt and light. And I know that's referencing the mission of and purpose on why we're here. And I know that's what the church's mission is to point people to Jesus and then he got into this talking about fulfilling of the law and this righteousness surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees. So in my mind, the reason I'm telling all that story is because I'm like, our righteousness as a church, number one, we sure don't need to be like the Pharisees. No. I mean, we need to focus on relationships and being salt and light on earth, which is which are public things. I mean, a salt, salt in a salt shaker does no good. Until you shake it. That's it. If it just sits there, what's good is that going to do? So, you know, you know, I know what I'm referring to. Like a church building. If it's just in the building, it's in the shaker. So uh, with salt, it, there's a couple of things here. One is, and it's used both ways in the Bible, there's, there's the idea of seasoning. You know, remember Paul said, have your conversations seasoned with grace, the idea that salt is used as seasoning, but also yeah. salt is used as a preserver, especially in the first century. So in other words, every, all their fish they were catching, I mean, they would salt these things down to be able to keep them, you know, beyond and, and they wouldn't spoil. So I, I think no matter which application you use, the idea is we have a specific role to either preserve an impact or season with something that's palatable for other people to realize. So I, I like both those illustrations. Well, I've always thought, yeah, the ultimate preserver is the resurrection. You know, you put it. Correct. I, mean, I don't know if they put it on dead bodies or, you know, I'm not sure what, the, when they had the spices and all, every time in the burial, they had a, a mixture of, of certain spices and salt and, but which was unnecessary if, you know, when, when you relate it to the resurrection, I mean, so it takes a while to decompose. But I could see if you didn't believe in the resurrection, well, you would deem the dead body more. I mean, you would try to keep it from decomposing as long as possible. I mean, what else are you going to do? Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, when you get to the resurrection, that's the ultimate preserver. You can actually get it 
rekindled, living again. So, I mean, I think not only is it flavor involved of life, the way off the planet is the ultimate preserver, but all this to me is to is to show us you can't just sit around and study about the law in a ritualistic setting. That's not what he's after. That's a good point. And you need to think about it, Jace. I, I, you, did you go to the Dead Sea when you were in I did. Uh, Israel? Oh, I did. That was one of the most fascinating places ever. That thing <laughs> is so dense. Oh, yeah. It's so dense you can't sink in it. Can't I mean, sink. like, you, you, you know, it's what I've heard. But they, you know, I'd, and when I was there, and it has salt in it, you know, but they would take the salt, which I thought about this where he says if the uh, – if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And I know where that came from because the people around there, you know, they sell the mud from the Dead Sea. Everything is for sale. It's turned into just, there's little tents of mud. and and But they take the salt and they like mix it with other potions that are supposed to regenerate the skin, not just make your skin look good, regenerate it because it came from the Dead Sea and this is the holy ground and this stuff will make you 21 again if you give me 40 bucks. But (laughs) they dilute, they would dilute the salt so much with other things to make a buck that the salt actually lost its salt. You wouldn't know there was salt in there because they got all this other stuff in there. And so it made me think about that verse because I, I, I said, now what's in the, what's in here? And it was always like just a mile long, this concoction that was supposedly greater than the resurrection. I'm like, well, what do I need the resurrection? If I, if I put some of this on my skin, I, I may never die. And they're like, yeah. Give me 40 bucks. <laughs> You're on to But think about how fascinating it is that we live on a planet that is covered, three quarters of it is co- covered in salt water, yeah. which we can't drink to, to maintain life. In other words, there, there's a lot of life in the salt water, in the oceans and all these different things, but we can't even drink it. And so it's, it's interesting how God made this. And, and use this concept or identity that we really have to have. It's really a sliver of dependence, and, and that's dependent on him and not the big, broad way. And so all that kind of come out to me when I was looking at that just basic thing about him saying well, yourself. Yeah. I mean, that has a lot of application. But that's why he's applying it to the kingdom of heaven. That's why we're the most powerful people on earth. Just think if you took the light out, what do you got? Yeah. You got people, if you had no salt and no light on the earth, just take those two qualities out. Tough world. Is it a tough world? You're, you're angry because you can't see, and then when you do find something to eat, it tastes like crap because there's no salt. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know <what> uh-huh. <laughs> Let's take our last break. Yeah, now, and that's interesting, Jace, because, you know, you've heard it said before that darkness, all darkness is, is the absence of light. In other words, if you if you just pull the light away, you're going to have darkness. That's what that's that's what happens there. So that's exactly what you see in the world. I mean, 
I mean, you look at places and you're thinking, man, and people are said, this is so dark and so terrible. And but when you remove light in in a spiritual sense, what we're talking about here, I mean, it, it's it's a bad place. You don't want to be in a place without any light, without any spiritual light shining. You're in a hopeless zone. It's a yeah, hopeless. That, zone. that was the contrast. That's why both times when he used the illustrate the metaphors, he then says, "Well, you don't. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither did people light a lamp and put it under a bowl." Well, why is he saying this? Because he realized when you tie that in with the heart traits that he talked about in the Beatitudes, he's like, you're, people are going to insult you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to falsely say all kinds of things of, of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Well, he knew that this is not going to be easy. I, I'm calling you to stand out for me. Based on what I've done, I mean that this is where he started the greatest sermon on the planet was. Let's start with the heart, and let's start with who you're, who the purpose for why you're here. And so, I just think it's incredible, and it's kind of wrapped around this, the exact opposite thing going on with the religious people and the teachers of the law. I mean, he's like, don't be like these people. Well, you don't you know that burn them. What are you talking about? We're the most powerful (laughs) religious people here. They killed him over it, which was his point. He knew that the same ones he's talking to, he said, they'll kill me. But then there are. Well, guess what? They'll kill us too. Oh, yeah. The the same thing's still going on today. Exactly. Which we've said this before, and we're not griping and complaining because we love everybody and we want everyone to listen. But the biggest persecution that we get, even do, doing this podcast, are not people of the world. It's people who claim to have faith yep. in Jesus. Yep. And just get fiery mad over whatever, you know, which I would say it reminds me a lot because it's always about rule oriented things that they're so upset about. Yeah. I met a, I met a young couple when I was in uh, Pennsylvania this past weekend. And they came up and they said, oh, we just love your podcast. I said, oh, yeah, listen. They were, yeah. And I said, oh, I always use dad's line. Oh, Jay, is he going to run out of stories? Is he? Oh, no, we love his stories. So we were just kind of talking about it. But then she looked at me and she said, and she put her hand on her husband's shoulder. And she said, you've helped him find his light. And, you know, I just thought, man, that's really what we're talking about. But the whole idea is you want people to shine bright and the, re- the way they do that is by connecting to Jesus is not be a better law, you know, keeper, not to be this, that, or the other, and all the things we apply to it. It's the idea Jesus is the one that provides that light. And so when you're like him and you guide people into that, I mean, they shine bright and, and they make a difference, which is kind of the whole point. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Well, I like Jesus's prayer in John 17. I mean, talking about mission and when he was praying to God himself, he said, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And so, I mean, I know we all, God created us with different talents and abilities so we could together, whether you're the pinky toe or the heart and soul of the body, I think that's where this greater and least, what he had in mind. I mean, look, if you're in the kingdom, you're forgiven and you're going to live forever. So ultimately, I don't I don't think he was talking about like 
there's ranking, like we get to heaven where here's all the greater. Now, some people believe this, but I, yeah. I just personally don't. Uh, I just think he, he more meant we're all at different growth stages in our faith. You know, when I was a new Christian, I was a pinky toe. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I just didn't, <laughs> I just didn't get it. I mean, it just took a while for as, you know, when you talk about repentance, it's not just a one-time thing. You're changing your heart, soul, and mind into something different. You're looking at life differently, and it just takes a while to start growing in your faith. And so I know in your body, once you're a pinky, you are a pinky, but I think it changes in the spiritual body because, I mean, there's no rules. What do you think, Al? No, I think you're exactly right. And there's there's always value. And and you're valuable at every stage. I mean, you just may not see it yet. You mentioned earlier talking about a forever family. And I, I love that concept of thinking how it keeps going on. Because I think about all, all of our spiritual forefathers that mentored us when we were new and learning. And we mentioned them a lot on the podcast. All these people have, are falling asleep in the Lord now. But we're just carrying on what they showed us. And then we're doing the same with other people. I preached a couple of weeks ago, Jason. I talked about about whenever you and I graduated from uh, seminary and you had a list. You compiled a list of everybody, basically, I guess you knew in high school that you wanted to share Jesus with. And so and, and I talked about that. And so there, your internship was about reaching these people. Oh, I just went the down Lord. the list. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And I was mentioning that and I said, you know, some of those people on the list, not only did they buy in and become sons and daughters of the almighty, they're still here. Oh, yeah. And I was looking at some of them when I was preaching, you know, and, and I mentioned Blake by name because he was the first one, but I mean, he's still there. Well, it's, you know? it's weird. You mentioned, yeah. Mentioning he sent me a text and said, just, this was just a few weeks ago. He was like 30 years. I appreciate you sharing Jesus with me, you know? I wow. mean, it was, I mean, that just happened. He, he never forgot that. And it was, it just, in my mind, it just didn't go so well. I was nervous. He was the first person that I shared with face to face. And I told him we were going to go play basketball because he played basketball. And so we got to the church building and he said, well, I didn't know y'all had a gym. And I was like, oh, you didn't? Well, we don't have a gym. So I was thinking to myself, <laughs> this is bad that I've actually lied to get get a Bible study started. Is this a good lie? <laughs> so I, then I got nervous about that. <laughs> so, he, so we went, and we went upstairs, and he's like, the gym is upstairs? I was like, yep, it's really cool. Because I could, because I was nervous. <laughs> so we get. <laughs> so you're just going with a lie. All oh, the way. I went with a lie the whole way. And so I get to see the Pharisees out there listening. They're like, "This is terrible." But I was like, so we get to the third floor, and he's he's like, he called me Slick. That was his nickname for me. He's like, Slick, are you? Where's the gym? I said, Look, there's no gym, and. <laughs> I said, I just had to come up with a story because I want to share what I'm into. And he's like, well, what? you could have done that on the phone. I was like, no, I just want to do it face to face. And so I basically go through the gospel message. 
with him. And he's like, nothing. I mean, it, it was like the worst response possible. I was like, what do you think? And he's like, you know, I think I'm on. He actually said there's a redhead that's pursuing me. And he said, that's about all I'm thinking about this stage of my life. I said, <laughs> a redheaded a redheaded girl? He said, yep. <laughs> it went terrible. So I thought, well, that serves me right for starting off with a lie. And so, you know, a, a year goes by and he came, came out here one night and he was drunk. I don't know if you remember that story. He came to your house and he just... He knocked on the door, and I could tell he was drunk. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, man, I'm sorry. And it was kind of his deep down emotions coming out. He felt guilty about what he was doing. And I'm like, let me get you a ride back to where you got to go. And uh, but so then about a year after that, he called me and said, asked me if I want to go fishing. And that I could tell he was sober, and it was daylight. So now we're two years after this study that that started off so horribly and uh he spent about five days down here i mean he came down for a study but he stayed five days because he's like i gotta dry out get my head clear and came to jesus and now here we fast forward this i mean he's 30 years later has been a real faithful brother for the kingdom and shares jesus so it's awesome you know it's awesome how how it happened but it wasn't about me because i'm telling you i did terrible I did absolutely. <laughs> it was kind of like a pinky toe trying to run a marathon. I mean, it was horrible. <laughs> but I realized as I grew that it wasn't about me. This wasn't about me. I, I What he got hooked on was the message of Jesus in that <laughs> pure in heart but terrible presentation, you know. But you know what was interesting, Jace, is, uh, and we got to wrap up, <clears throat> was that to your point of the body and the kingdom, we all played a role. Like you, you were the introducer. You know, Lisa and I were the community builders with all these people that were coming into Christ because we have yeah. these groups in our house. Dad was the discipler. We would have him come up and basically just help disciple all these people. And then even our mentors were the teachers. And so through the process, that's how you build stability in families that then builds stability in other people. So it really is the kingdom at work going forward. Same thing we're studying about for the last 2000 years. I mean, it's, it's in action about what the body does. So pretty powerful. Thanks for listening to the unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes and don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.